Okay, so I sat in the sun for a while. It was beautiful out there, wasn't it? Really lovely. And um, we're being fooled, deceived into thinking that summer is coming. <laughs> it's not really. <laughs> um, okay. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for worship songs. Thank you for um, being able to come to you with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. Thank you that you encourage it and that you, you tell us that you're pleased by it. Thank you that you're singing songs to us. You are rejoicing over us with singing, you say, and praise you, Lord, for that. Thank you. And I pray now as we go into the second half that you would um, continue on with us, and continue to unravel us, actually. That song said, you unravel me. And I pray that you would unravel all those places in us that we haven't actually unraveled before and we haven't seen what's there. And I thank you that you will do it so gently and, and that there'll be healing in the unraveling. And I praise you for that, Lord. And thank you for what you're going to say now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want you to spend about five minutes or so, ten minutes maybe, um, thinking about what legalism does and what and whether you might have this issue. Um, I want you to make a list, if you can think of it, on what legalism does and what it brings to the life of a believer. Um, I've made a list already. I had advance notice. So I've made my list, and I've got about six or seven things on it. Um, but you just, just uh, think about what legalism, what trying to keep the rules does to, um, in the life of a believer. And um, if, if that's your own personal experience, that's all the better. But even if you don't suffer particularly from that issue, or you didn't realise you did, just write down what you think would happen to a believer who, who struggles with legalism. And then in about five minutes or so, I'll come back. You feel like you're back in school, do you? <laughs> and you're worried that you finished too quickly and you, have <laughs> you didn't do it right. That was me. <laughs> um, okay, so what do you have on your list? What, what does legalism do? What does it bring into the life of a believer? Bondage, yeah, bondage. Say that again. Yeah. And what, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> yes, bound by the rules and regulations. Yeah. And when you say bound, what do you mean by that? You have to do certain things. And yes, it does. Yeah, it makes people feel secure. What inevitably will happen, though, if you're bound by some rules and regulations? It'd take away your freedom, but yeah, inevitably what happens if you set a list of rules and regulations? Yeah, you always feel a failure because you won't be able to keep them. You won't be able to keep all the rules and regulations all the time. And so as soon as you don't keep them all the time, you start to feel guilty, and then you stir yourself up to do better next time, and, and so it goes on, and the sense of guilt and shame gets worse. Yeah, it's a form of control, yeah. Who do you think is trying to control the person who sets the rules for themselves? Satan. Satan is trying to control you. Um, 
Okay, so bondage, you'll know uh, bondage. What else? <coughs> Say that again, sorry. Oh, structures, I see, yes. Hierarchical structures very often, but yes, structure. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. So you, are you saying you, you mean things like that we've always done it this way, so therefore we have to continue to do it this way? Yes. Yes, no freedom, but you have to keep within a certain, certain guideline, yeah. The structures. Who wants that structure in place? <coughs> ultimately, who wants that structure? Satan ultimately wants that structure in place. Why? Exactly. Because it doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to work freely. Um, and it denies what Jesus has done. Yeah. So bondage, structure, anything else? Steals joy. That's that was my first one. It's there's it, there's a, there's no joy. There's a lack of joy. Why is that? Yeah, because you're too busy worrying about the rules. Yeah, because legalism kills joy. It kills joy. Um, why would that be? Why does legalism kill joy? Yeah, it adds, you mean you don't believe in, in the grace of God? Yes. But why would it take your joy? Freedom. Takes freedom, yeah. Makes you tired, yeah. Struggling to, to keep up and to keep the rules. And, and um, yes, you're going to be constantly doubting yourself. It's pretty hard to be joyful when you're constantly having to remember a set of rules and regulations and uh, making sure that you adhere to them all the time. Um. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It takes attention from, uh, away from Jesus. Who do you think wants to destroy your joy? Satan wants to steal your joy. Um, and actually, there's no such thing, really, as Christianity without joy. Joy is a hallmark of Christianity. Um, Paul will write in Romans um, 14, I think it is, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So um, a Christian without joy is like a non-Christian. That's the thing. Okay, anything else? It's not necessarily yeah, definitely not biblical. Mm. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So you're camouflaging the real Jesus. Yeah. Yes. It, it increases your distance from God. Yeah. Definitely. It increases you. Because why would that be? Yeah, there's more pressure, you're afraid, you're not keeping the rules, you're not doing it right. Or maybe even you're thinking, have I even got the right rules? <laughs> maybe I've missed a rule, you know. <laughs> maybe I haven't got one on my list. Who wants you to feel like that, separated from God? Satan. So, um, yeah, anything else? Stop St stops you growing in your faith, definitely, that's true. Yeah. 
Judgmental, yes, yes. You'll have a critical, unloving attitude towards other people. Definitely. Why would that be? Yeah, because we are, we are prone to judge other people by our own standards. We do that anyway, naturally. That's our human condition. We see other people through the lens of what we think about ourselves. So um, if you don't keep the rules, and I do, then that makes me a much better person than you. Um, and so I tend to be critical and unloving. And there's tons of people like that in the church. Tons of people like that in the church. Critical, unloving. Um, not only are they unloving towards unbelievers and critical towards unbelievers, but they're very critical of people inside the church. And so every Sunday morning there's a complaint about the pastor or there's a complaint about the person who sat next to me or that they sat in my seat even worse, you know. <laughs> it's got my name on it, didn't they see it? Um, you know, that sort of thing all the time. Um, what about... Um, um, yeah, will you tell me anything else? Pride, yeah, releases pride, definitely. Pride because I can keep certain rules, more rules than the next person. And um, Pride, yeah, who wants you to have more pride? Satan. Who wants you to be critical about other believers? Satan. Who wants you to go around judging everybody else? Satan. That's, it's all about him. Um, People who are caught up in legalism tend to focus on outward, external things. They, yes, it makes you religious, definitely, for you, David, yes. No, I, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. It makes us religious, um, yeah. And hypocritical, definitely, definitely. Um, some denominations have taught many things. I used to have a friend, good friend, beautiful, beautiful woman in Tokyo, married, but she belonged to a denomination in the States that said that you couldn't dance, even with your husband. No dancing. Because you were moving your body, and God didn't want you to move your body, because it was seductive. And so she couldn't dance. She couldn't wear makeup, she couldn't wear nail varnish, she couldn't wear jewelry. Very lovely, lovely believer, but she was bound by those rules of a denomination that continued that. I mean, this was only 20 years ago, so this is not a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> some people say you can't play cards. No playing cards. No wearing earrings. No sports. No watching TV. Some people. Some. Christians even say you can't have a TV, you can't own a TV. All of this is just focusing on externals rather than internals. Who wants you to do that? Satan. Who said, Debbie, were you going to say something? Anne? Yes. Mm. 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 The legalism tends to start on the outside um, and doesn't very often get very far in because we surround ourselves with all the rules and regulations. But God always starts on the inside. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's no heart. It's all just outward observance. Yeah. Um, religious tradition. You said that, didn't you, David? Religious tradition. Yeah. Some. And what sort of li- religious tradition does it set up? Yeah. External things. It's like Diana said, you've got a structure and we've always done it this way and we can't do it any other way. So we can't sing any song later than 1973 because they were all written by really God-fearing saints and all the rest of the stuff that they're doing now, oh my gosh, you know, we can't sing that. Do you see what I mean? This is, and this is all legalism. It's all legalism. It's all me setting my rules about what you can and cannot do and what I can and cannot do. Um, Yeah, it's never ending. None, none. What will the person be like? What will the attitude of the person who has legalism issues? Yeah, miserable, yeah, but... Not very attractive, no. Rigid. And critical, very, very arrogant. Most legalistic people are very arrogant and, that's, and very critical of other people. They may not openly admit it, but they believe they have the truth and that, um, yeah, and that no one else does. Um, they believe that their church, their way of being brought up, their family life, their Christian family life, their uh, everything is the only way to be. And actually even going so far as to say that if, Chris, if other Christians don't, didn't have that and don't adhere to that, they're not actually saved. You have to go to my church to be actually saved. And you have to you know, do what, what we do to actually be a Christian. If you belong to a church like that, what should you do? Run. Run. Get out fast. Get out fast. Yeah. Who wants you to have that attitude? Who wants you to be arrogant and critical and Satan? So can you see, it's really easy, actually, when you boil it down, there's hundreds more things we could say from a legalistic mindset. You could say, but they all ultimately come from Satan. And he is out to steal grace and to steal joy and to steal the freedom that you have in Christ. Um, when Paul wrote that where the spirit of the Lord is, is liberty. And we all with unveiled face, he says, beholding as in a mirror, the spirit of the Lord are being transformed into that same image. Um, I'm, I'm misquoting, sorry, but you know where it is. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Um, If you have any of the things that we talked about, if you've got anything on your own list that you didn't mention, if you have any of those things going on in your head and in your heart, what must you do? Hmm? Yeah, turn away. You need to repent. You need to repent of that because you have believed a lie and you have believed the deception of Satan. So you need to repent and turn from it. Because ultimately, it, is a t- it has taken you back into yourself rather than into Christ. And um, you need to repent. Don't fall into a graceless Christianity. 
Why not? What would be so wrong with trying to keep good rules? And there's no life in it. And what's the matter that there's no life in it? Because I'm born again, so what is God isn't glorified and you're not going to grow and no one else is going to want to know your God. No one else is going to want to know Christ. And that's the reason you're still here. You know, to, to witness to the truth, the reality of the grace of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Um, now, I want you to picture... Um, um, a, 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 roar, a tiger, a raging tiger, and um, he's put behind bars in a cage. Why was he put behind bars? Because he's dangerous. Do you expect the bars to tame the tiger? No. So what would happen if somebody does tame the tiger? What would happen to the bars in the cage? They wouldn't need them. Okay, that is the picture of the Christian. Christ has tamed the tiger in you, and there is no need for the cage that you put around yourself. And you might make your cage very beautiful. You might decorate it and put soft cushions in there and make it very warm and cozy and inviting, but there's no need for your cage. Now, the thing is, what will make you not... Believe that. What will make you kind of walk out of your cage and, and uh, not walk out of your cage and still want to hang back in there? Fear. Why? Fear of what? Fear of the unknown. Fear of what? Yeah, fear of being different. But just think about it in terms of the tiger. Okay, you know what you were. So you needed, you needed, a, you want a cage around you. Why would you want a cage around you? Because of you know the wild life that you lived before, or the way that you sinned before. Why would you be afraid to step out of your cage? You want security because you don't really believe that you are not who you were, and that you have the power of God in you, and that He will do what you cannot do. And he will enable you to live the life that you want to live, but you're afraid you can't live. Do you see what I mean? So if you keep making cages, then it's just telling the Lord, I do and I don't believe. I believe, but I'm a little bit frightened to step out of this cage. And, and your cage won't always look like legalism. You'll dress it up. So it looks very comfortable and it looks something completely different. But it is, in effect, a set of rules and regulations that you're afraid to step out of. I don't know what yours are. You know, what happens when you miss going to church? How do you feel? <laughs> Did you say fine, Janet? Shame on you. We're all going to talk about you in the break. Okay. People who miss going to church very often feel guilty. What happens when you don't have your quiet time? Not just for one day. You're probably okay with one day, right? Or two. What happens when you don't have quiet time for two weeks? How'd you feel? You feel guilty. Why'd you feel guilty? 
because you ought to have done it. Strike that word from, from the language. You feel guilty because you think you ought to have done it. What is the right feeling? Because that's the tiger in the cage. That's the cage. What is the feeling that we should, or the way we should start to think about us not having quiet time? Mm-hmm. So how would that make you feel? What, what would you be looking... When you look at your... Wow, look, I've had this week and I haven't even opened my Bible. I've hardly prayed. I certainly didn't sit with the Lord every morning or two weeks or whatever it is. What would be your overriding thinking? Oh, Lord, I, I'm just so sorry for myself. I'm so sorry for myself that I didn't sit with you, that I've missed out on that. Is there guilt attached to that? No, there's no guilt. Do you really think that God is up there with a calendar ticking off the days? Like, okay, I mean, that she did really well for the first week of January, but after that, oh no. Do you think that that's what God is like? He's not like that. And when I say that to you, you laugh because it's ridiculous to think that God is like that. But as soon as you miss a week of quiet time, oh my goodness, in comes that thought, oh, I should have done that. And look, I haven't read my Bible. I've got to catch up and I've got to do this. And, and it's, you know, it's not good. These are just tiny examples of the bars that we surround ourselves with. Of course we want to have quiet time because God speaks. Why would we not? But if we don't, it depends what you think God is like as to how you respond to that. What do you think he's like? Is he like a hard taskmaster who's standing there with a big stick? Or is he like a loving father who's saying, come on, let's, let's, should we try and sit down together this morning? It changes the way that you think about things. And the thing is, as long as you live in a cage, you never live in the outside world. You never experience what you've been born again to experience. How did Christ live? Where did he go and what did he do? He lived amongst people. Was he in a cage of any description? No. Where did he live? How did he live? Tell me what he did. He traveled around. Where? Who did he mix with? He mixed with sinners and outcasts. And he went to the pub. He went to the pub. And he drank with publicans. And he sat down at the table of sinners and prostitutes. He lived amongst the people of the world. Why? Because he loved them and he came to save them. Who lives in you? Jesus lives in you. Where do you think he wants you to be? He w- <laughs> The thing is, legalism will tie you up in knots and it will tell you, you didn't do this and you didn't do that because you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And you will end up not living the life that Christ lived and that he wants to live through you. You won't experience the mountaintops or the, or the oceans or the deserts or the beauty of this world because you'll be so afraid of stepping out into the wrong place. 
And that's, that's unfortunately a lot of time that's how Christians are. We're just so afraid of looking wrong or sounding wrong or being wrong or someone thinking we're wrong. or We are so afraid that we just stay in that little cage and we make it really nice in there so that we can turn our mind off from all that we're missing. But we are missing life out there. We're just missing life in all its fullness. Jesus went to parties. He drank wine. He mixed with all sorts of people all the time. He confronted hardened legalists. He wasn't afraid to tell them that you're wrong. He wasn't afraid to walk in freedom. He was probably the freest person who's ever lived and ever walked. He rubbed shoulders with sinners, yet he stayed pure. He lived like other people live. And as he lived like other people live, what did he manage to do? Because he lived like other people lived, what did he manage to do? He showed them what God was like. He showed them what God was like. Do you think that us in our cages with our rules are showing people what God is like? We're not. We're not. We're showing people what religion is like. What man's idea of religion is like. And nobody wants it. Why would they want that? You and I are called to live as Christ lived. We're not Jesus. That is a false teaching that we can ever be Jesus. Even on mass, we are not Jesus. We are a pale imitation of him. But the further we go with him, the more we let him live in us, the more we show how great our God is to a world that needs to see him. The meaning of our lives is not going to be found in the cage. You're not going to find your purpose in there. You need to step out. So you said fear would stop you stepping out. And fear of the fact that you would fail or the thinking that you would fail. That you would be drawn into a life that you didn't want to be drawn into. That somehow you would lose some holiness or some righteousness or something like that. So what's the only antidote to that? Faith, faith yeah. But actually, what, what in that faith, Sue? What will you do in that faith? So faith, yes, but how will you kind of lay hold of that? Yeah, you're going to trust the Holy Spirit is at work through you and not just the person who's sitting next to you. You're going to trust that God is at work in you. And when you don't trust that, so, you know, when your humanness comes rushing in, as it always does, what will you do? Yeah. 
There's no wrong answers. It's just what would you do? What will you do when you go home and tomorrow or the next day or the next day something creeps back into your thinking and you start to put a, another bar around yourself or another chain on yourself or another should do or shouldn't do or ought to do or, or you find yourself judging other people by what they're doing or what they're not doing and what are you going to do? Yeah, and, and yeah, repent, ask him to get you back on track. You're going to praise God. Praising God is the way that you remind yourself that everything he says is true. Praise you, God, that you live in me. Praise you that I am not who I am. Praise you that I am headed for glory. Praise you that you will live your life through me. Praise you that you have promised that I will overwhelmingly conquer through you who loved me. Praise you that I'll never get to the bottom of your grace, that your love is endless and overwhelming. Praise you, God, that I am headed for an eternity that is beyond my imagination and that whilst I'm getting there, you will do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything I can ask or think. It is impossible to build a cage while you're praising God. It's impossible to build a cage and tie yourself in when you are reminding yourself of all that God is and all that he's done. It was for freedom, Paul says, Galatians chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Stand firm then and don't submit yourselves to a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Paul says in um, Galatians, if you let go of your freedom, you'll lose your power, you'll lose your joy. Um, sorry, I've, I've lost my notes, my place in my notes. You'll lose your joy, you'll lose your freedom, and you'll lose your power. You'll lose everything that Jesus died to make available to you. And you will separate yourself from God. Why does it matter if you separate yourself from God? Think about that. Are you born again? Put your hand up if you're born again. Everybody in the room put their hand up. You're born again. What's true about you if you're born again? Nothing can take you from God. Nothing can take you from God. You cannot lose your salvation because the Holy Spirit is there. You have been born again, born again, and the Holy Spirit lives within you. So why does it matter if you live in a cage after that? Because surely I'm going to be with God eventually. Hmm? Yes, but I mean, I'm going to get it all in heaven, aren't I? So is that not enough? <laughs> The whole point, yeah, the point is, if I, if I separate myself from God in that way, if I build my cage and sit in my cage because I'm afraid, and if I have this legalistic mindset, and if I don't live in freedom, I never lose my salvation. My eternity forward is set. But my power now, the joy now, the peace now, the blessing now, the, the effect and the, and the fulfillment of my life now is affected. 
and you and I live in the now. We, we think about the future and we, we're trying to train our eyes on the future and remember that's where we're going and that's all good. Whilst we look at the things unseen, it's all good. But we walk in the scene. We walk in the now. And don't you want to have meaning and purpose and fulfilment in life now? Yes. And God says, stand firm in your freedom. Whatever your personal circumstance, whatever is besetting you, whatever difficulty you are facing, stand firm. Don't run back into legalism. Don't run back into rules and regulations. Don't run back and separate yourself from God. Stand firm and lay hold of all the blessing of Christ for you. Just lay hold of it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Definitely, Ruby, yes, definitely. Yes, definitely that. Look back and how he helped me there and how he did that. Uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. But I think that sometimes we, we focus, we're supposed to be looking at what is unseen. We're supposed to be remembering we're a citizen of heaven and not of earth. We're supposed to be thinking of those things. But sometimes we think about all of that and we get frightened in the here and now. You know, and we actually don't believe that we are powerful here and there or that he is powerful in us. We, we, we look at other people sometimes and think, oh yeah, they've got an amazing ministry or they've got an amazing gift or God's really working in them. And we just look at ourselves as some sort of slug or snail, you know, and that, what can I do? What can I do? But the reality is the Christ who lives in me lives in you. In you. It's the same Christ, the same power, the same uh, purpose. Christ has meaning for everybody's life. You know, there's no one who he's going to say, right, well, you, you know, I thought I had a job for you, but I'm not really sure, so just sit in the corner for a while and I'll let you know. That's how we think about ourselves, don't we? So... The wonderful life that Christ, God offers us in Christ, he wants us to have today. Yes, it's for tomorrow. And yes, we will live eternity in that life. But he wants you to lay hold of it today. Today. And when we come back for the last session, we're going to lay hold of it. Well, you know, we're going to try. (laughs) 